could you explain the difference between a lager and an ale? So um, the main difference is about how they are made and what yeast strain is used to make them. Are all ales uh, IPAs? And so a lot of people it's, think India pay, uh, pale ale comes from India, but th that's not it. A lot of history behind it. So back in the day, uh, the Brits would brew their beer and then would transport it with them when they traveled um, by ship to India. And it took like several months for them to move from like the UK to India. So what they did was they added a lot of hops to the beer as a preservative to keep the beer longer so it doesn't go bad when they travel for several months to get to India. That's why it's called the Indian Pale Ale. Mango and pineapple, or, or they describe different fruit flavor profiles in the beer. Are they mixing those fruits with the beer or does that come from the variety of hops and, and different yeast, as you mentioned? It comes from the variety of hops. Uh, how do you train the yeast to recognize, oh, this is plastic that I need to break down. This is now my new source of food. Right, that's a good question. So there's a, a new field called synthetic biology where you can apply. Uh, welcome, Eugene, uh, to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, the other day we had a chat, you and I, in yeah. the bar. And uh, funny enough, we were having beers, which is um, something that yeast makes. So you guys, uh, you're familiar with the way that fermentation works. And I kind of want to get into a bit of the talk about mm -hmm. your work, uh, how you engineer yeast to perform different tasks, as well as uh, how you got into science. So I'll kind of let you... Uh, describe to us what got you interested in science in the first place and um, how you found yourself working as a as a master yeast <laughs> engineer. <laughs> right, yeah. Thanks for inviting me over to uh, yeah, speak on this podcast. So how did I get into science? Uh, I'm like, when I was in high school back in the day, uh, I really liked chemistry and biology. Those are two like science topics I always did well in. So I was like, yeah, why not? And then um, moved to university. Um, didn't want to do medicine. I wanted to do something closely related to biology and chemistry, but I didn't know what to do. So um, I was advised to do biochemistry. And so I did. And um, yeah, down the line, my third year of biochemistry, I really loved that course because it blew my mind how um, every biological process was, um, every biological process had a chemical basis. That really blew my mind. So it's a nice mix of like biology and chemistry. And that's like what I was interested in. So yeah, I did that. And then uh, really enjoyed the program. And after my undergrad, wanted to do a yeah, postgrad, do a master's and a PhD. So I got an opportunity to go to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland to do a PhD in um, the lab of Chris French, where at the time there was a huge interest in engineering microbes like bacteria to convert wood waste or plant waste into biofuels by um yeah synthetic biology and, and uh, genetic engineering so yeah really enjoyed that and that's how i got into doing academic research and um yeah so how did you find yourself in edinburgh what what actually got you to go where, where, were, you, where were you doing your undergrad first and how did you get the opportunity in edinburgh right so i did my undergrad in ghana i'm mm -hmm. originally from ghana it's a nice small country on the uh atlantic in west africa I did my undergrad there and at the time when i was about finishing i had a friend who was doing a phd in in Edinburgh, in Scotland. So she told me about um, an opportunity to um, apply for some PhD um, scholarships over there for overseas students. So I applied for that scholarship and yeah, I was lucky to get in. 
So it was fun. I just had to show up and not pay anything at all. So I had my tuition paid for. I also was paid a stipend. Which That's I, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I never had to pay for anything. So I got there and I think the other main motivation was the lab I was going to work in. So it was um, yeah, a biotech lab and they were interested in developing microbial um, microbial cells for the production of biofuels. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So yeah, that was like the main motivation that got me there. And then how did you find yourself in Canada here uh, working in uh, working with Dr. Myron Smith? I was like, back to Edinburgh. So like, of course I chose Edinburgh because it's um, one of the top UK universities. It has yeah. a lot of history with a lot of great inventions that uh, happened right there on the campus. So yeah, that really got me excited about that university. Mm -hmm. And after my PhD in Edinburgh, so I joined um, a yeast lab in Sweden. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I was lucky to have a very good um, uh, postdoc advisor and mentor who really got me to enjoy um, working with yeast. I had no prior experience of working with yeast okay. until I got to that lab. So that project went very well. I really liked it. And then um, after that, I did a short postdoc at the University of, um, at the Technical University of Denmark in, yeah, in Denmark. <laughs> and after that um, short postdoc, I wanted to go back to an English speaking country. So I was thinking of going back to the UK at the time because I was very familiar with how things were over there. But that was also the time when they had the Brexit thing going on. So they had decided to leave the EU mm -hmm. and no one knew how the future like research funding was going to be. So I looked elsewhere and I found a position at the University of um, Ottawa for another postdoc in another yeast lab. So I ended up there, did um, some more work where we tried to find out um, why yeast were... Um, we tried to find out ways by which you can make yeast resistant to fermentation inhibitors. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 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 We'll get that in a sec. <clears throat> get there in a second. But I want to. I want to ask you a few things for those that are interested in uh, visiting uh, places, either Denmark or Sweden, right. uh, or I mean even Edinburgh. Uh, in your during your times there, did you pick up any other languages? Like being in Sweden or in Denmark, did you pick up any any other languages? Yeah, I did. So I, I learned Swedish for like a year and a half. Oh, nice. Yeah. So now I can write and read Swedish, Swedish like pretty well. Nice. Good for you. Um, I've got a bit rusty when it comes to speaking, yeah. but when I hear people speak Swedish, like, it's all like all comes back to me. And yeah. And luckily, Danish is quite similar to Swedish, mm -hmm. but it's more difficult. Yeah. So I'm more comfortable like with Swedish. Like, could you go into uh, a coffee shop and maybe order a cup of coffee with a, a like a muffin or a donut or something? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, any places that you recommend visiting if someone is in Denmark or in Sweden or Edinburgh? Yeah. Uh, there's so many places. So it always just in Edinburgh alone. It's like so much to see that you need like multiple days <laughs> to visit Edinburgh. But it's a very beautiful city. It has like a, a hill in the middle of the city. So most tourists would go there, climb that hill. It's called the Mathe Seat. Okay. So you climb that hill and it gives you a very nice view of the whole city. So yeah, people do that. And of course, you should see the Edinburgh Castle, like very old castle that's been very well maintained. Mm -hmm. Also like very in the core of Edinburgh, in the downtown area. And yeah, the other things you can do is so many... Um, if you're into the British drinking culture, there's a lot of like pubs and places you can get very good beer like grass market, hay market. You can also like walk to most places like in Edinburgh. 
And one fun thing um, a lot of people also like to see is um, the Royal Yacht Viternia. So it used to be the yachts that the um, Queen Elizabeth, like back in the day, would travel the world around the world with. In yeah. yeah, but that yacht got um, decommissioned, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's been kept in Edinburgh. So people go there, you go see all the different rooms on the yacht, mm-hmm. and even the what uh, used to the bedroom of Queen Elizabeth II is yeah. still there. You can just like walk in there, and yeah, it's pretty cool to see. I like the idea of doing a graduate degree in Europe because there's a lot of culture there. And uh, the nice thing about Europe is that you can take a flight from anywhere and go to, for example, if you're in Edinburgh, you can take a flight to Italy or from Spain to Germany, wherever you are, and the flights are fairly inexpensive. You can maybe go for a a long weekend, visit a couple of different places, and then come back and continue your studies. It's a very nice place to be in, especially because uh, all the cities are very accessible for uh, with like with local transportation. Yeah, that's so true. So you can actually get flights, uh, return tickets to like any part of Europe on those like low budget airlines for like 30, 30 euros or 30 yeah, pounds. And Ryanair. exactly right in yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, I did, I did that. So given the chance to see like different other countries, so I saw like most of like Western Europe. So I've been to like all the countries in Western Europe because it's that easy to get to all these countries. Yeah. And you know, they're all like in Europe, they all have like different cultures and different kinds of foods and drinks. Mm-hmm. That makes it very yeah. exciting to just explore. Good beer, I'm sure. Good beer, yeah, 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 yeah. What was the, what was the best beer you had there? Ooh, um, the best beer, I would say uh, maybe a Czech Pilsner. Czech Pilsner? Yeah, so it's a lager um, that's like very crisp and um, yeah, refreshing. It's a little hard to avoid now. Could you uh, explain the difference between a lager and an ale? All right. So um, the main difference is about how they are made and what yeast strainers use to make them. So for ales, the yeast strain is um, just Saccharomyces cerevisiae, brewer's yeast. Right. And these yeasts ferment warm, so they're able to ferment or make ales um, anywhere between 16 degrees Celsius to 22 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. But for lagers, they are fermented cold okay. from like 8 degrees Celsius to like 13 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. And... With lagers to after um, the fermentation. So um, also with the yeast strain, so lager yeasts are different. So they are a hybrid between Saccharomyces cerevisia, the normal brewer's yeast, and another yeast strain called um, Eubayenis. Eubayenis? Yeah, so okay. it's a, a hybrid between these two strains. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it, um, that's what gives it the cold tolerance feature. Because the Eubayenis is like, yeah, it's like very cold resistant and they actually live under very cold conditions. So the imagine it ferments very cold. And so when you make lagers, after the fermentation is done, there's the actual stage called the lagering, where the beer is kept at a low temperature for like several weeks. And that gives it the um, the time for the beer to mature in its true sense, where, um, yeah, the yeast will settle out, all the other remaining particles in there will settle out. And it gives it time for the taste also de- to develop. And yeah, and that's how you get a lager. But ales are different. So ales are just like uh, fermented warm and they have a more like hoppy character. Mm-hmm. It's more like hoppy in there. And the flavor profile is like diverse and richer that you get in a lager. As opposed to the ale where, so you said the ale is colder, uh, fermented at colder temperatures? The lager is... Oh, sorry. Lager fermented at colder temperatures. Yeah. Ale is fermented at, at warmer temperatures. Yeah. And uh, was it the lager that has a, a hoppier, more fruity, or different, various t- types of different flavors? So the lager is more um, crisp and clean. Mm-hmm. It seems that like there's like very little flavors in there. So yeah. most of the flavors come from the malt that you use. Oh, okay. 
or for the ale there's like richer has mm -hmm. like more diverse flavors that yeah. you get from the yeast and okay. the hops that's added to the uh, fermentation can you explain the malt right so the malt is the uh, the greens yeah that's um i use for making the beer okay so um for beer most brewers would use like malted barley mm -hmm. and it's a bit like wheat but it's a different kind of grain so what the brewers would do is to mill or to crush the barley add a lot like warm water to it to extract all the sugars mm -hmm. in a process called wurtin so they get um, a very sweet liquid called wort wort okay yeah like very rich doesn't sound very appetizing the, the wort part doesn't sound <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's like yeah, very rich in sugar like very sweet yeah so yeah um so that's what get from the barley just the sugars yeah and after that, they would add the hops to it mm -hmm. and it would boil. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit like making tea. So when bo when it's boiled, all the um, compounds, the hops will get like extracted to the wort. Yeah. And when that process is done, the um, wort is like cooled or chilled. And then the yeast is added. The yeast converts the sugars from the barley into alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then also converts the hop compounds into all the desirable flavors that you get in, in the beer. Something I was always curious about is... Um... IPAs, which stands for Indian Pale Ale, right? Yeah. So where does the name come from? I don't know if it's uh, if it's that <laughs> obvious, but where does the name come from, and uh, what differs it from like regular ale? Is it a specific type, or it, are all ales uh, IPAs? No. Well, that's a good question. So a lot of people it's, um, think India Pale Ale comes from India, but that's not it. Okay. So, yeah. so um, a lot of history behind it. So back in the day, uh, the Brits would their beer and then we'll transport it to with them when they traveled um by ship to india mm -hmm. and to like several months for them to move from like the uk to india so what they did was they added a lot of hops to the beer mm -hmm. to um as a preservative um to keep the beer longer so it doesn't go bad when they travel um, for several months to get to india that's why it's called the india uh, indian pale ale wait so they added hops to the beer so that it doesn't go bad yeah. So then how do they make the beer in the first place? Right. So in making a beer, you add the hops to the wort mm -hmm. and you boil. Right. And when you boil it, you get a lot of like compounds. Okay. And they're extracted from the hops. Mm -hmm. Some of these compounds are preservatives. They are antimicrobial. Mm -hmm. So that's what preserves the beer. Okay. So in that case, during the, um, the stage where they add the hops to the, the wort, they add a lot of hops so that it gets a lot of those hop compounds. It's like right. preservatives okay. that makes the beer last longer. Mm -hmm. So IPAs are usually uh, more bitter than the regular pale ales because okay. of all the, hot, the extra hops that's been mm -hmm, added mm -hmm. to the beer okay yeah but to answer your question like how different is it from other ales so um yeah it's mostly it's very hopped mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's um it's more bitter and um yeah and the flavor it's also very hoppy so it's called like very hop forward beer mm -hmm. so it's very hoppy and it's um yeah, it has a very different flavor profile so so then the the distinctive uh characterization of it is that it's a little more bitter than regular like than than um lager beer yeah a little more bitter and it's also a little more hoppy so you get a lot more of the hop character in the beer how would you describe uh hop because i i tend to stay away from ipas because i find them a bit more bitter yeah. and i don't really like bitter flavor but uh how would you describe a hoppy flavor a hobby flavor is um so you get a bit of that skunky <laughs> that, that skunkiness in there. So like delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's like um pure hop extra smells like very skunky. Yeah. But, yeah. Because yeah. all the, the yeah, the compounds in there, the tiles okay. and stuff. Tiles, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like um yeah, you get that very skunky flavor mm -hmm. in there. But 
the good kind of skunk in it. Right, right. Yes, of course, as one would normally right. tend to yeah, go for. Okay, so then um, back to uh, fermentation. There are different types of yeast that they use for fermentation, right? And uh, as we've described, uh, there it, it's the main ingredient in beer overall, whether it's lager or ales, is hops, right? Um, so this is German law. Mm -hmm. That's like um, put out like back in the day. This is like beer must be made of hops, yeast, sugar, and barley. That's it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, so like that's the fundamental um, of the basic units of like, beer, mm -hmm. but it's been modified so, so many times. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all the flavor that you get from beer mostly comes from like good interplay between all these different okay. um, ingredients, like the the hops, the uh, the yeast strain that you use, the even the water profile also makes a difference. And even the, the water makes a difference. Yeah. So how how can how can water uh, change the flavor? Like, is it the hardness of the water and the different uh, minerals in it? Yeah, the hardness okay. and minerals in there. Okay. Exactly. So um, some beers are you can brew some beers okay with like mm -hmm. guelph water. So guelph water is very hard; you can't drink it. But it's a good um, water source for some beer styles. Right. And um, some other beer styles also prefer prefer um, yeah water that's not too high in salt. Mm -hmm. So it also makes a big difference because like. Okay. The yeast would need some of these minerals or some of the ions and salts mm -hmm. to, for its um, biological processes. So, yeah. and yeah, it's adds, it contributes to the flavor profile of the beer itself and also like the function of the yeast um, metabolism too. Out of curiosity, do you know how old beer is? Like how, how early does it date back to any type of evidence that we've noticed people drinking beer? Um, so it goes <laughs> way back to the times of the... Uh, I can't put a, a number a year a number to the years, but uh, thousands. I imagine thousands exactly. Yeah, because okay. yeah. I mean, like some records of like people drinking beer, like in uh, ancient Egypt, like back in the day. Nice. Okay. Yeah, so I know wine is very back. ancient as well. Yeah. Because we fermentation isn't uh, isn't a new discovery. It's like thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to understand the different ways that you know different beers are made in terms of flavor. Like, how do you enrich a beer in flavor? Right. So. To do that, you need to um, pair the right strain, the right strain of yeast, the right the right yeast strain with the right um, hop variety. Okay. So where the flavor comes from is the compounds, the hops. Mm -hmm. So hops, yeah, hop is a very leafy um, plant material. Has all the um, terpenes and thiols and other chemicals in there. Most of these chemicals are inert. They are not active. They do not have. Um, it cannot be perceived as a flavor compound mm -hmm. or an aroma compound. So with the yeast coming in there, yeast is able to convert some of these inert or these um, inactive compounds into um, more desirable flavors. It's a process called like biotransformation. So for instance, um, thiol compounds in hops, a lot of hops have a lot of thiols in there, but they are bound to mm -hmm. like cysteine or to other molecules in there. Okay. So yeast has an enzyme that will break the bond and then free or liberate these thiol compounds. Mm -hmm. And the free thiols that give beer the, 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 um, some of the tropical flavors and, okay. uh, and aroma that you okay. have in there. Yeah. So to get the right um, flavor profile, you need to pair the right yeast with the right hops mm -hmm. to do that conversion. Are they mixing? So like when they say, oh, this has a fruitier flavor, like beer, mango, or not beer, uh, like um, uh, mango and pineapple, yeah. or, or they describe different fruit flavor profiles in the beer are they mixing those fruits with the beer or does that come from 
the variety of hops and and different yeast as you mentioned yeah it comes from the variety of hops so they're not actually mixing fruits in no there. oh no yeah so it comes from the variety of hops so um some hops for instance have um a high amount of ethyl called a 3-MHA. Mm-hmm. So that's a flavor compound in guava. So if you use that hop, so there's um, one type called the, uh, one variety called the Cascade. Mm-hmm. It's actually gross here in Ontario. So if you have like Cascade hops, it has like high amounts of the 3-MHA, which is a guava flavor. Mm-hmm. So the right kind of yeast, the yeast would biotransform it, yeah. so would free the hop, comp- the bound thiols into free thiols. Mm-hmm. And that's what give um, the beer the guava or the tropical fruity flavor. When it comes to like engineering different beer flavors, uh, is it, how do they engineer yeast or uh, the, the barley to kind of make different flavors? How can you, how can you change the, I guess, what genes each can express in order to, uh, to like change the flavor profile? Right. So um, with yeast that, Several ways that you can do that. So what you can do is you can use a process called um, hybridization or mating, mm-hmm. where you pick one yeast strain that has um, several copies of the genes that are required to free hops for free the tiles, for instance. Mm-hmm. So you can pick that parental strain, pick another yeast strain that has several copies of another gene that does similar things, and then mate them okay. or like yeah, hybridize them. So you get some hybrid yeast that has the um, a good trace of both parents mm-hmm. so you get this like terrible yeast that can do this like uh, by transformation right more efficiently so that's one method that's, you can also use um, um lab evolution where you continuously grow the yeast cells in um in in yeah in wort containing um, a hop compound like a terpene mm-hmm. and over time so terpenes like I mentioned, like these hop compounds are also like antimicrobial. Right. So terpenes in high concentrations can kill the yeast cells. Mm-hmm. So when you grow the cells in um, hop in words with the ter- terpenes over time, the yeast will adapt a way to detoxify it by converting the terpenes into something less toxic, mm-hmm. which in most cases is another terpene that has a, another flavor um, profile. Okay. So that could be another option. And the third option that's like very um, tricky is the genetic engineering that brings up a whole lot of uh, controversy because right, it's right. Uh, going to use a yeast for a food application. So you can also pick, um, just engineer the cells to express an enzyme that mm. would free the bound thiols to release all the uh, flavor compounds in the, in, the hop com- in the hops. How do you determine whether or not a, uh, a strain is like a good candidate for fermentation to use as you know, a good source for a certain flavor? Um, just um, trial and error. Yeah, screening, screening, screening. So you okay. screen, and um, for like yeast labs or for our brewers, what we look for is how well they ferment the sugars in the barley, mm-hmm. um, because that determines how long your um, fermentation, yeah, how long your fermentation process going to take. And in the world of brewing, like time is money, so a lot of brewers would prefer a yeast strain that will ferment in a short period of time, instead of like a longer time. Mm-hmm. So let's say it takes you fourteen days to ferment or to make um, beer you'd want a yeast that can do that same thing in like in seven days mm-hmm. that way in that 14 days you could have done like two batches of beer yeah. already yeah so like how fast it ferments and um, the sugars and also how it's um able to transform the hop compounds to desirable flavors in mm-hmm. the beer mm-hmm. that's another thing to look for um a third trait that people are interested in is how well they flock leads or how well they fall the yeast like fall out of the um 
of the beer after fermentation because some beers are such a sort of brew such that it's like very crystal clear you can see through it and so you need a yeast strained out do the fermentation and it will fall out oh, of solution okay. and then you get a very clear part mm -hmm. of the beer which you can sell in that case you don't need to really filter it a lot because okay. that could also be very costly so then in terms of modifying the process of fermentation can we do that in order to make yeast more efficient yeah we can to increase fermentation on the rate of fermentation what happens is the cells would chew through the sugars mm -hmm. in the wort mm -hmm. and one way of doing it is to get the um, sugars into the cell in the first place and these this process is mediated by mediated by transporters. Mm -hmm. So there are some sugar transporters that get the sugars into the cell. So if you want to increase the rate of fermentation, you can engineer the cells to express or to produce more of these transporters that get the sugar into the cell. Mm. And when it gets into the cell, you can also engineer the cell to um, make all the enzymes or the tiny bits of proteins in the cell that choose or breaks the sugar into alcohol okay. into energy. So expressing those enzymes as well would increase the rates of fermentation. Mm -hmm. Could you describe the process of fermentation? How does it work? And what? how does yeast uh, ferment sugars in order to produce alcohol? All right. So um, firstly, taking the sugar. Mm -hmm. And then the sugar is broken down through a series of reactions called glycolysis into okay. pyruvate. And then this pyruvate is now yeah, converted to alcohol mm -hmm. or ethanol. So that's basically um, yeah, the process of fermentation that's what happened. It's a single cell organism, right? It is. How yeah. do they replicate? And uh, they, sur they survive by eating sugar, right? Yeah. So how does yeast replicate? Can you tell us a bit more about it? So there are two ways. You can do that sexually by forming spores. Okay. And then the, the spores then germinate under mm -hmm. the right conditions to make like more yeast cells. Yeah. Also, they also do that by just like um, badding off each other. Mm -hmm. So the cells will just split into two and two splits into four, four into eight and yeah that's the most common way by which they divide or grow okay and then uh, what did you learn from your work with yeast in sweden what was it sweden yeah sweden sweden yeah oh yeah what so, were you guys working on at the time yeah it was um yeah for a different application so at the time we had um a collaboration with samsung the mobile phone company um to produce <laughs> lactic acid okay. from fermentation and the reason why they were interested in lactic acid was they wanted to make um, a bioplastic called PLA, polylactic mm -hmm. acid, mm -hmm. for their mobile phones. Yeah, interesting. What was the plastic used for? Uh, to make the cover oh, okay. of the mobile okay. phone. So it's like a bioplastic. Right. Yeah. Just to make it a bit more uh, like uh, environmentally friendly? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But then lactic acid, I mean, it's an assay, so it's high concentrations that kills the cells. Mm -hmm. So our work was to engineer yeast cells to become more resistant to the toxic effect or the lactic acid. And yeah, we did that, we did um, lab evolution where we forced the cells to grow under um, very acidic conditions. And we identified some gene mutations that could be targeted to make the cells more resistant to the toxic effect of um, lactic acid. Are there challenges that brewers have in terms of growing their hops or growing the barley that um can be improved by modifying the gene. I mean, I guess I'm asking about genetic modification here, about genetically modifying the hops or, or barley in order to have either larger uh, production volumes or just better flavor profiles. So in terms of flavor profiles, um, so the brewers don't do that job. Mm -hmm. They don't do the um, 
engineering they don't engineer the household they barely they just like buy them and use it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um improve the, the flavor profile mostly comes from the yeast itself so that's where a lot of the engineering goes into and so i help um, yeast companies or academic labs that engineer yeast to um, effectively convert the hop compounds into useful or flavors and mm -hmm, aromas mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in the world of the hops so there are some hop growers that also do um, plant breeding where they take different varieties of hops to breed them to get a hybrid that has high amounts of terpenes or thiols right, right, that right, could okay. be used to um, make beer and in that sense so beyond that um, the, the brewers get very excited because like hops is expensive so if you have a hop variety that has more a high amount of the terpenes or the hop compounds you'd mm -hmm. rather want to go buy those hops so the traditional ones that have like low amounts of terpenes or hop compounds. What's your current project right now? What are you currently working on? Right here at Carlton, um, I'm trying to use yeast cells to convert plastic waste into useful chemicals. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of people are doing now is there's a lot of work going on into um, breaking down plastic waste, like PET plastics like mm -hmm. you find in bottles, plastic right. bottles. Right. You're using like enzymes or like chemical reactions to break it down to its most basic units or the fundamental units and that's it but for us in my research lab what we are doing is we are trying to engineer yeast to recognize these broken down products or these basic units of plastic as food mm -hmm. so they can consume it as a carbon source and then ferment it to produce um, ethanol or biofuels that can be used for cars and engines so that's very that's very interesting because you can take yeast and now give it a completely new um function other than making beer or growing yeah. or making bread uh, how do you train the yeast to recognize, oh, this is plastic that I need to break down. This is now my new source of food. Right. That's a good question. So there's um, a new field called synthetic biology mm -hmm. where you can apply uh, some genetic engineering tools to train cells to um, do something that doesn't do normally. Right. So to do that, you know, in the yeast cell, there's a DNA that has all the instructions that tells the cells what it should do. So when a when um, yeast cell like, comes into contact with sugar, the DNA would make enzymes that would break down the sugar to produce biofuels. So with synthetic biology, you can bring in a foreign DNA that can bring in a foreign DNA, put in a yeast cell, and then it trains the cell to recognize these plastic compounds as mm -hmm. food. And then through um, a series of biochemical reactions that are mediated by the enzymes that the DNA would make, the enzymes would transform the plastic compounds to biofuels through its use of steps. Okay, so we're not only breaking down plastic, you're actually also making a product from it that we can use for something else. Exactly. And about like training cells, so there are some bacteria that, do, that does this naturally. So mm -hmm. they grow in refuse um, dump sites. The only thing is that these bacteria are difficult to grow okay. and um, those will require very strict nutrition and very strict growth conditions to, um, to break down the plastics. So essentially what we're doing is we're looking at the genetic databases of these bacteria and then we'll pick up the instructions that the cell uses to recognize plastics as food and copy these instructions, mm -hmm. put that into yeast cells. And then now the yeast gets trained to read these instructions and it's able to recognize plastic waste as food and would convert that into biofuels and other chemicals. That's the approach that we're using right now. And is the is the biofuels produced by yeast? Does it um, uh, like is is it any different than the biofuels produced in any other methods? Um, um no, 
No, it's all um, ethanol, bioethanol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other method, the only difference with um, the other methods is like the um, the feedstock that is used. Some okay. people will make biofuels from like corn or from sugarcane, um, but the final product, which is the bioethanol, is like the same thing. That can is the same chemical, really. right? Yeah, it's yeah. the same chemical. Okay, it's just and the then, process that's different. Just the process is different. Yeah. So then, why wouldn't we uh, start? How many different types of plastics can we actually use to give to train uh, yeast at you know? Uh, breaking down these plastics into mm. uh, into biofuels so uh, we don't know yet so mm-hmm. this field is a little like very um, very new very new yeah. there's still like a lot of work that needs to be done mm-hmm. because now there are enzymes that will break down plastics to the basic units but they are not too efficient to be honest so there's a lot of work going on to improve these enzymes to make them more efficient and to make them to increase the activity so yeah we don't know. We don't know yet. So it's still like a lot of work that needs to be done in this field. Any idea of how long it would take to break down one bottle of plastic, for example, using yeast? Um, so there's a company in France that has um, a modified version of the enzyme that breaks down PET plastics. Mm-hmm. And apparently, um, the most efficient enzyme that they have now takes about 60 days Damn. to break down plastic. Which is like very slow to break down. Yeah. That's, that's a plastic. long time. Yeah. Uh, to, to break down how, like just one bottle of plastic? Um, I'm not too sure like the, the quantity, yeah. the quantity yet, but yeah, apparently it takes that amount of time to break down PET plastics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, so uh, clearly a, well, one of the reasons why we should start moving away from plastics, but um, it that is also promising that there's something that can break down plastics uh, a bit faster. Is it possible to engineer these um to actually genetically modify these these uh different strains of yeast to break them down faster maybe produce more enzyme or produce a stronger reactive form of that enzyme to break down the plastic yeah 100 so why now what we need to do is to make um to, yeah to produce like more efficient enzymes mm-hmm. and um people are trying to use like different tools like ai um technologies to predict what combinations of amino acids to make uh, but these are like AI tools to really enhance or to um yeah make better predictions of how the most ideal enzyme should be right to increase it, um, its activity or its like mm-hmm. rate of breaking down plastics. So mostly being able to increase activity and also be able to produce a lot of the enzymes. I think that's what um we need to work on right now. Okay. okay. Have you used uh, AI at all? Have you used AI to try to modify anything in the lab or to to make a process more efficient? Um, not at the moment, because uh, for the kind of work that I need AI for, I don't think we have enough data mm. to train um, our models to right. do what we want it to do. But eventually, I think that's going to happen in my group. Okay, awesome. Yeah. What kind of, uh, what kind of uh, yeast have you found to be best at breaking down these plastics? Um, so yeast don't do this naturally. So what we're trying to do is to engineer them to mm-hmm. do that. And what's the best candidate model for engineering? Is it can you use any yeast for that? Like even the one that we use to make bread? Um, yeah, you can use that. So you can use really? the, the biggest yeast, or like brewer's yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you don't actually have to have some prerequisite uh, gene structure or profile in order for you to train them or to engineer them to break down plastics. Um, what you need to do is find a yeast strain that's more efficient in, re- in producing the enzymes. Mm-hmm. And mm. that is a limitation with the biggest yeast right now. Okay. So people would rather use other strains of yeast called like Pikia because it's yeah, it's able to produce um, enzymes or release enzymes more efficiently mm-hmm. or aspergillus. Um, yeah, but that's a different kind of fungi though. But um, yeah, Pikia in terms of yeast, yes. Um, or with the baker's yeast, you can do that, but they do not efficiently express or produce gotcha. these enzymes. And 
um, there's still a lot of work going on to be them more efficient in in protein production. What's the what's the purpose of that enzyme aside from us discovering that oh it can break down plastic? What's the natural um, function for that enzyme in yeast? Um, it has to function in yeast. So these enzymes are mostly produced by bacteria. Oh, so okay. say like you have to engineer yeast to make them. Gotcha, gotcha. So okay, yeah, they okay. don't yeast don't naturally make them. Oh, which is why. Yeah. Oh, I see. What That's you're why you have to engineer okay, them. Yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. So so you, you need to find a way to because uh, you can you can take that bacteria and mm -hmm. and or you can take the 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 gene from that bacteria yeah. that produces that enzyme and put it into any any type of yeast. Exactly. But yeah. then depending on the type of yeast, it will make it either more or less efficient. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, so okay. it's a background stream that really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. You're also a professor here at Carleton, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. what are you teaching right now? So I teach a fourth year um, biotechnology class. Mm -hmm. It's called like current topics in biotechnology. Yeah. It's a fun class, a small class. So what we do is uh, we pick one aspect of biotechnology each week. And then we discuss like new technologies that are being developed by different companies to mm -hmm. solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And we get the students to think through these problems, to think through the technologies or the science behind the technologies. And to think of some other um, challenges that they might face in terms of like ethical considerations or like increasing public perception. And um, also even with like regulations and stuff. And with all these put together, the students will be coached to start their own, bio, to create their own biotech startup. And yeah, develop their own, their own technology to solve a problem using biotechnology. So it's a fun class and it. it's like um, very interactive. Nice to discuss like all the new trends that are happening in the world of biotechnology. That's very cool. Have you, uh, have you encountered any students that used yeast to start a company of their own? Uh, not yet. In the course? Yet. I'm, I'm trying to like push them to come yeah, yeah. using yeast, but yeah. Like, hey, this is, a good, this is a good product yeah, to be exactly. using. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's one of the the like the current projects that the students are working on that are like the, the companies that they're making right now that is as close to being achievable as possible? Um, so right view? now we're just like halfway through the course and um, they're still like developing the idea, so it's not really concrete right now. Right. But I think one group has a cool idea of um, producing enzymes or producing enzymes like um, microbial cells that can clean up. Um, oil spills in the attic mm -hmm. yeah, i think it's int pretty interesting but yeah we're still trying to shape the idea a little bit yeah it's very interesting because uh i've i've read a little bit about bacteria that can do that right yeah. but uh can yeast do that can yeast take uh can you take yeast engineer it to because because you can do the same thing with bacteria where you can take uh part of its genome and embed it into yeast in order to break down plastics and do the same for uh, yeast to be able to break down biofuel or just fuels in general like fossil fuels yeah exactly oil. you can so um yeah, there's some, again, there's some bacteria that does its job naturally. So you can take some of their genes and then stick into yeast mm -hmm. using synthetic biology tools. And that way you can train yeast to do the same job. So it's, it's possible. Yeah, it can be done. And what's your, uh, what's your future hope for your current research? Well, uh, or your aspirations? Where do you see <laughs> your, your research going in the next five to 10 years? The next five to 10 years, I like us to have like a, a fantastic yeast strain that can so um, consume plastic um, compounds mm -hmm. and convert them into like biofuels or to other biochemicals in, in a tank. So my, my big dreams are like um, work with companies or industries that, yeah, that are into waste um, remediation where they yeah. could have like a fermentation process where they have a, a tank, just like you'd find in a brewery. Mm -hmm. have a tank with like hydrolyzed plastics in there with some yeast strains in there. The yeast would chew through the hydrolyzed plastics and then convert it to biofuels or to other interesting biochemicals.
That'd be that'd be awesome if you could also like make a machine. You just dump the plastic into it, and then it, yeah. you get fuel out of it that you can use it for something else. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or just ethanol to just make yourself some ethanol from from dumping plastic. Yeah, ethanol. Even like um, hand sanitizers, which also like ethanol. Oh, true. Yeah. 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 To, yeah, to be a fun project, so like a small like um, a home system. Well, like, yeah. This is like a coffee maker. You put in your waste plastic. You crash it. You mm -hmm. add a, a sachet of yeast to it. Remember to make um, ethanol that can be. <laughs> so like yeah you used to make like hand sanitizers or something yeah that'd be that'd be pretty good because yeah, yeah. i remember taking a industrial biochemistry course once yeah. Yeah. in undergrad and uh there's always like what companies have in mind is always this process of if we're making a product what can we do with the byproducts of it because yeah. they don't they want to make it as least wasteful as possible yeah. so you can like take a certain product as you're breaking it down and maybe make soap out of it or, or make other ingredients out of it that you can use as separate forms of income mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to just dumping it and throwing it out exactly so that's what we, we are interested in so with uh, pet plastics for instance so PET is like a long chain of like smaller units mm -hmm. called um, terephthalic acid and ethylene glycol. So long chains of these um, basic units. So we bring down PET plastic to get these individual com uh, compounds. So ethylene glycol is what is used as an um, antifreeze agent. Right. Yeah. That's like used in cars. Mm -hmm. But for the other compound, the terephthalic acid, there's no use for it right now. Mm. That's like a waste product of a waste product. Right. So... Our plan is to engineer yeast to recognize TPA or terephthalic acid as a, a carbon source and ferment it would use something useful. Mm. So, yeah. The molecule itself, is it possible to be broken down currently? Is it possible to be broken down into anything that would be useful? Is there any structure within it that would be useful for some other product? To, I mean, I imagine that if, uh, let's say, you take a third of it and that becomes useful, but then there's still two thirds that you have nothing to do with, but at least something. Um, at the moment, I'm not too sure if it has any use as it mm -hmm. is. So it's um, a ring structure with two acidic groups on it. Okay. So, what are the acidic groups? Do you know? Um, just a um, carboxylic acid, so COOH. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of like breaking down to something useful, I can't think of anything right now. No. I don't mm, know if yeah. uh, if you, can, like, you can remove one of the groups and it mm. just becomes benzenoic acid, and then uh, possibly yeah might be able to use it in in as a reagent in processes because mm -hmm. yeah interesting stuff yeah uh, man I really appreciate you coming on the episode <laughs> yeah, uh, thank all. you so much uh, I I know a little bit more about beer now yeah. my cousin really likes beer so uh, <laughs> we could we could I could use this knowledge now to have discussions with him about beer but uh, thank you so much for coming on the episode I really appreciate your time. And I uh, wish you all the best with your work, your research, and your students. And I yeah. uh, hope to see you soon in the future. All right. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much, man. Take yeah. care. Have yeah. a nice day. You too. Thanks for listening, everyone.